this year, I have been speaking to you almost exclusively of questioning, of doubt, of uncertainty, of the way in which, since the fall, since the moment when total perfect communion has ceased between man and God, we are living in a twilight. St. Paul, as you remember, said that we see things as though it was through a darkened glass. We saw the things, we see the things, at the same time, they haven't got the clarity, the luminous quality, which is theirs in reality, but which we cannot see because our eyes are darkened. And when I say our eyes, I do not mean our physical, fleshly eyes, but the vision which we have of things through our soul, through our total perception of things. I would like today to speak of another aspect of things in this conclusion, concluding thought of mine, about certainty. Because twilight implies two things. It implies that there is no fullness, plenitude, perfection of vision in, through the light, but it also means that in spite of the darkness, the cloud, there is light and there is vision. We are told in St. John's Gospel that things are surrounded by darkness and yet darkness has not swallowed them up. There is light. And the purpose of our spiritual life is on the one hand to learn, to discern what is dark and what is light, but also to live by what is light, to live in the light. And I would like to say something about it now, about this aspect of things. Throughout the Old and the New Testament, we find people, ordinary people, people who became great only after the event, as it were, who were like everyone else, and who at a certain moment found themselves face to face with a light, or a truth, or a beauty, or a meaning that transformed things for them. Remember a man like Moses. He was in the wilderness, and all of a sudden he came upon a sight he could not understand or explain. There was a bush standing in the sand and a flame. 
And something very peculiar about it. It was all flames, and yet it did not disintegrate in ashes. He came up to it, and in a voice said to him, Dare not step on this ground with your shoes. Come barefoot, because this ground is holy. He had seen, as it were, an icon, an image, a message, that God, even in the world in which we live, would set things to flames and the things were not consumed. Speaking materially, it is a simple image. Speaking spiritually, or the experience of mankind and of each person to a very great uh, difference, each of us is confronted with moments when he sees in the ordinariness of life a light which is beyond the natural. You remember probably the light of saints in which an ordinary person met a saint face to face and saw a light in his eyes, a light on his face that was more convincing than any words this man or woman could have spoken. I remember in the life of the fathers of the desert the story of three men who came to a hermit to ask the questions that had accumulated in their minds in the course of life. Two of them asked one question after the other and got replies that made sense to them intellectually. Not in terms of convincingness of a man who had better arguments than theirs, but what they said was of another dimension. They saw things small, limited, colorless. He gave color, dimension to these things and the soul now, their problems and their lives and the world around them in greatness instead of seeing nothing but the small created dimension. The third one said and asked no questions, said no word. At the end of the encounter, the hermit said to him, your companions 
have been asking questions for me. You have not asked me anything. Why? And this man said to him, I have been looking at, at you, and that was enough for me. He was not contemplating a physical beauty. He was looking at man in which the life of God had established a serenity, a peace, a depth. Through whom <coughs> understanding form it was enough for him. This happens also in our days. In the context in which I speak, it is impertinent to give a personal example, but I will do it. Because we are friends. We are so united that we can share everything. When I was 17 years of age, for the first time in my life, I went to one of the churches in Paris. It was the only church, about 30 to 40 people, who had not renounced allegiance to the Russian patriarchy. I intended to come to the service, but I was working and I was late. The service was over. The church was in a basement. There was a wooden staircase leading to the front door. And coming up this staircase, there was a man, a monk, tall and vigorous. I looked at him and what I saw moved me deeply. I had never seen anyone in whom concentration was so total. He was <coughs> all inside of his self. He was all in an incredibly deep silence of prayer. I didn't know who he was. I came up to him and said, I don't know who you are, but I beg you, become a spiritual father. Number of years later, he was dying. And three days before he died, he sent me a note saying, I know now what the depth of contemplative silence is. I can now die. And on the third day, he died. There was no outer shining. There was nothing in him that was in my experience, a vision. It was a direct perception 
or the depths of inwardness, of silence, of prayer, if you want to use this word, that conveyed to me a world. We have other examples, more frequent perhaps. You all know the story of Saint Seraphim or Sarok speaking to Matavila, who was asking him questions about the spiritual life. And all of a sudden he saw Saint Seraphim shining with light in such a way as he describes it himself in his memoirs, that he could not look at his face because it was so luminous. And he said, it was as though I was looking at the sun in its full glory and inside of the sun a human face which was shining with his glory, but I couldn't look and see it because it was continuously moving, changing. And yet it was sincerity. And he turned his eyes, his gaze away, thinking that he cannot endure this. One cannot see that and stay alive. And sincerity said to him, don't be afraid. You could not see me as I am now unless you yourself were not shining with the glory of God. This is a very important phrase because at times we need someone that strikes us, perhaps not with the absolute power of Saint Seraphim's vision that strikes us in the same direction, as it were. And we have a feeling that, how can that be? And the answer is, you can see it because you also commune to this light. This is immense importance for each of us. Because each of us love one thing or another particularly. And if we beyond this, love a person or another with a depth which is unique and sees a beauty and a greatness which perhaps others cannot perceive. This means that between this saint or the shining light that is alive in this person whom we have met and us, there is something in common. We also are partakers of this light. We can ask ourselves about the saints whom we admire and venerate. If we are asked to give intellectual reasons, what is so wonderful 
in this one or that one. We can usually give reasons, but they are not the reasons why. As if we can be asked, how is it that you love this person so deeply and revere this person so deeply? Give us reasons. And we cannot give these reasons. Because the reason is in the mystery of communion. There is this person, in this saint, or in this ordinary person, something which awakens in us a similar condition, makes us partaker of the light which is within this person. This is so wonderful because on the highest level it is happening between the saints and God. A step lower is happening between the saints and us. Why is it that such sin is so meaningful to me? Why is it that I see in him such incredible beauty, while others may see in him one of the many great men of God? Because there is between us a resonance. There is between us a similarity. It is terrifying in a way to think that I can be <coughs> profoundly moved by one saint or another, or by the mother of God, or by Christ. Because between him or her or them, and me, there is something that responds. But if that is true, we must think of ourselves and look at ourselves with respect. And when I say with respect, I don't mean with pride and illusions of grandeur, of greatness, no. We must look ourselves and say, I, as a humble human being, have been created in such a way that I can perceive that. An image that was given me once was that of a musical instrument. The instrument itself is nothing but wood or strings and yet touched by a hand full of experience, capable of conveying beauty, it begins to resound and convey to others all around to the extent to which they can understand it. The experience of the one who has touched its strings or its keys. If that is true, 
then how careful must we be about ourselves? If we have veneration for a saint, if we have respect, tenderness, love to a person, if some passages of the scriptures of the gospel, if the person of Christ as he appears in the gospel, reach us and move us and transform and transfigure us, how careful must we be about ourselves? We are not just a dead instrument. We are not just an object upon which light divine has shone. We are a being into whom the divine light has shone, has poured, has transfigured us, or it may be for one moment of vision. But it is not true that it is only for one moment. We perceive it as an extraordinary, unrepeatable, wonderful moment. But in reality, it is something that has gone to the very core of our being and is there. The gifts of God are never taken away, says the scripture. If once we have had this extraordinary experience, then it means that it is within us. We can be secure, yes, secure, sure that nothing can take it away from us. It can be obscured. We may lose sight of it. We may be incapable of perceiving it, finding it in ourselves again. But it is hidden in the very depths of our being. It will one day come to the surface. It's a wonderful thing, but also what responsibility is put upon us by it. We have got the great visions the great mystical experience of the saints. But each of us, we have got an experience of God, of the mother of God, of his saints, of one another, in the beauty which God's beauty in us. And we must treat this experience with reverence. With what depth of reverence? And what gratitude both to God who gave us this experience and to the person who is conveying it to us, even for one moment, because we cannot continuously be in the state of the visionary, but having seen once, we have seen forever. Having perceived once, we have perceived forever. It has become our experience, it is us. In the history of the Church, 
we find people who met God in Christ in a variety of ways. I have mentioned Moses and the burning bush. Moses saw something incredible. A bush that was burning and was not consumed. And this, in a way, was an icon that says to us, God can set us into flames and we will not burn. <coughs> we will shine and become light and fire ourselves. This is the vocation of each of us, of everyone whom God has ever created. How careful, worshipful, reverent we must be to what is going on in ourselves and in others. In others as we see them, but in others as we intervene in their lives. How terrible it is when we bring into someone's life a patch of darkness, a wound, increase the twilight, block it away. And how wonderful it is to see some people who open a door. In the Gospel we also find people who meet God in Christ. I would like to remind you of one example which struck me very much. is that of Nathaniel. He meets Christ. He's about around people who tell him that this is a prophet, a man of God. And he does. And Christ says to him a very simple phrase. While you were praying under that tree, I saw you. Nathaniel was probably not kneeling by the tree with his hands upward. He was by the tree and his heart was with God. And when Christ said to him, when you were there by the tree, praying, while no one could see, Nathaniel thought he must be the God to whom I was praying. And he bowed before Christ and said, My Lord and my God. This is one of the most moving passages in the Gospel of one who was standing in prayer before God invisibly 
and he discovered that he had been seen by Christ because it was to him that he had been prayed and he became his disciples. If you read the lives of the different apostles, you will see the same. Each of them at a certain moment met Christ. But met Christ not as a wandering preacher, but as one within whom there was something that wasn't there in anyone else. To whom should we go? Says one of the disciples. Now, if that is the case, we must look, each of us, at our own lives. Because we are not here by chance. It's not simple curiosity or idleness that brought us here. It is because we have, each of us, perceived something <coughs> that brought us to this place. I can give you an example Oh, very simple. I have mentioned it years back, and some of you may remember it. A man came to this church with a parcel for one of the parishioners. He was a convinced unbeliever, so he had done all he could to arrive when the church, when the service was over. God had decided otherwise because when he came the service was still on and this man impatiently put down his parcel on the bench at the back of the church and set to it for the end of it. The end came. He gave the parcel to the person for whom he had brought it. But he did not go away. I was going around the church, putting things right, ready to lock it up, and I saw this man sitting there. And I said to him, are you waiting for something? He said, no, but I'm puzzled. I don't believe in God. God doesn't exist. And yet, there is something in this place which I have not met ever anywhere else. What can that be? Is that the mournful singing of your choir? Is it the shining of the candles in the half darkness? Is it the collective hysterical condition of the people who come here. But there is something I have never experienced before. How do you explain that, he said. I shrugged my shoulder and said, you see, I believe in God. So I would say it's God's presence. But of course, 
If God doesn't exist, I have no reply for you. He looked at me and said, Yes, but I'm still puzzled. May I come again? So the force come again. And he came a couple of times. And he had the same experience with a difference. He came for a liturgy. And he said to me, what is happening to people? When they come, their faces are dull. When they go, there is another life and light in their faces. And the people who go up to the screen and receive something with a spoon from you, when they come down, their eyes are shining in a way in which eyes don't shine normally. What can that be? I shrugged my shoulders and said to my benighted mind, it is God. But of course, if there is no God, he said, look, there is something here which all these people have and which I do not possess. I want to possess it also. What should I do? I said, come, sit, see, and if you want to talk, you can talk to me. Said, no, I don't want to talk to you. Because you can you may influence me. What I want is to come one day, settle on this bench, sure that you are not about, and that you cannot <coughs> hypnotize me or influence me in any way. And see what happens. So I said, come. He sat there, I disappeared. Then when I met him again, he said, you know, whether there are people in this place or none, whether you are here or not, it is the same. There is here something like a presence, something I cannot describe. I want to discover what it is. What shall I do? So I offered him to talk to him about the Christian faith. And eventually, after a year or so, he was baptized. But here it is. It was not the mournful scene of the choir. It was not the glittering of the candles. It was not the collective hysterics of the congregation. It was not my evil influence. It was God's own presence. And this is what made him into a believer. A believer in God, not in the church as an organization or a place 
where services are held that are moving, beautiful. No, it was God who he made. And I think this is something which we must all remember. One of the important things in our lives, if we want, in the twilight of life, to have the certainty that it is light which is at the core of it, we must look for God. All the rest may be conducive to it, conducive to it, or on the contrary, prevent us from meeting it. We may be carried away by duty, whether items, whether singing, whether services. We may be carried away by the wisdom expressed by writings. But beyond it, there must be a point at which we come in silence and face to face with the depth which is a presence, God's own presence. And when we have discovered that, all the rest takes its place. It may become essential as a living expression of what we have discovered. It may become superfluous. It will become occasional. It will be our weekly or daily experience if we can or choose to come to church. It may also become unnecessary if we think of the ascetics who went into the desert to be alone with God. But also, those ascetics who had rooted themselves in God in such a way that they could be with people without losing God. In the life of St. Arsenius the Great, there is a story of him and another ascetic. He lived alone in the desert, receiving no visitors, and he was asked why. He said, because I'm incapable of being simultaneously with God and with people. And I want to be with God. And therefore I run away from people. But how is it that the ascetic Paul, who lives a few miles away, has established his heart by the roadside? and receives all the passers-by, washes their feet, gives them water to drink, shares his food with them. I don't know, said Asini. And when they asked Paul, he said, whoever comes this way, I look at him. And I see an icon of Christ and come up worshipfully to wash his feet, to give him 
a drop of water to feed him if he needs it, to offer him rest in myself. And all my life I am in the presence of Christ. Two absolutely opposite ways, but all absolutely real. We are not in a position to choose one way or the other in this total and absolute sense. But we can understand it. We can understand that there are moments when we need to be alone with God, without anyone helping or hindering. And there are other moments when being with God and being with someone or people is identical. I remember being taught about praying by Father Thanasi, who said to me, when you want to pray, shut your door, take your stand before God, and be absolutely quiet and silent. Say nothing except one thing. Thank God that He, in His humility, accepts to be in your presence and accept you to be in His presence. And stand there knowing that God and you are standing face to face. You may perceive something. Peace. Death. Or you may perceive nothing. Do not try to perceive anything. It's enough for you to know that God is there. You may be unworthy of perceiving Him. You may be incapable of perceiving Him. But He is there. And you need not be afraid of his apparent absence. Just stand there and thank him for allowing you to stand in his invisible, imperceptible presence. And then a moment will come, perhaps, when of a sudden you will become aware that God is there. Your whole self, your inner self, will come to life in a way in which it was not alive before. And you will know that you have met the Lord. But do not try to keep this experience, to hold to it. Let God be free. Never forget. Keep in your heart, in your memory, what you have experienced. And then, deepen your experience of these encounters with God by reading and trying to understand, trying to understand, this is essential, the prayers of the saints. These prayers were written by people from within this very experience 
they express what they perceive. They didn't perceive everything. Each of them perceived what he could, what was akin to him. And he put it down. Read and try to understand from the experience of saints something about God. But remember that these words are their words and you cannot repeat them truthfully unless they are true for you and within you. Read them but comment on them. Say words and say, yes, Lord. This I can see with all my heart. This is the truth as I know it. And in another passage, stop and say, no, Lord. This I cannot say in my name. I can only try to learn from the saint whose prayer I read. But it is still beyond my experience. I will remember it. I will meditate on it. I will try to understand how that can be. But I cannot identify at the moment. And I must be true and say, no, this is beyond me. And there are passages of which we can have a glimpse. Yes in the twilight and say, yes, I understand something of it, but very little. And there are moments when we will have to make an act of faith. Say, I don't believe, but in this desperate need, or perhaps trivial need, in which I am, I will Make an act of faith. In other words, I will trust God. I will have confidence in Him. I will hope that I will not be deceived. And then we may discover that yes, indeed, you we were right. Trusting the Lord Himself, all things whose prayer we read. All that are elements of certainty, or a certainty that varies. It may appear for a moment and then disappear. We may find ourselves again in the twilight, but we will remember if we are careful enough that we have seen the light and that we cannot hold it forever. And if we are honest, if we struggle truthfully, then gradually the twilight will become brighter and brighter with the light of God. This is a way in which certainty may replace searching 
in God. A certainty which is trust in God, being sure of Him. A certainty which is a result means trusting Him enough so that at moments of darkness we still can remain with Him. And gradually this trust, this incipient growing certainty may become faith in the full sense of the word. A certainty that never wavers in us and also that leads us to be faithful, to be His. Faithful in the, in the sense, in, in the way in which friends can be faithful to one another. Not betraying one another. And here comes not the problem, but the reality, the importance of being true to what is in the gospel, or if you prefer to live in such, in such a way that God may believe that we are faithful to Him. And on that we can grow more and more one with Him. And then the twilight matters less and less because what matters is the light. The darkness that surrounds becomes like a mist through which one can walk because one knows that beyond the mist there is a perfect light of the sun. I will end at that point this talk of mine and the talks of this year. And I hope that what I have said in the course of these talks will help you, however little, to find your own way, your own way, each of you, the unique way which makes you one with Christ, our God.